Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. There was a bin on the left-hand side of that picture, right, that we dressed up like R2-D2. <laughs> Star Wars. And there was, anyway, it's a running joke in the dressing room. It's probably not going to make anything any sense here whatsoever, but he followed us everywhere, this, um, this bin. We made a bin everywhere we went in every game. You're listening to the Lord's Cricket Podcast with me, Will Rowe. These are the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them. My guest on today's show is a cricketer who wore his heart on his sleeve, enjoying a first-class career spanning 167 matches across 13 seasons, taking 572 first-class wickets at 28.74 apiece. Having started as a trainee at Leicestershire before being let go, he played for Yorkshire, Gloucestershire and Somerset, as well as featuring for England Lions. Not without setbacks, his story is one of overcoming adversity and he's enjoyed some real highs and lows at the great old grounds of Lords. Steve Kirby, uh, welcome to the Lords Cricket Podcast. How are you? Oh, I'm great, thanks, Will. It's brilliant to be here and looking forward to sharing some of these stories with you. Yeah, going down memory lane. Absolutely, can't Good. wait. <laughs> right, let's clear something up first. Yeah. What did you say to Michael Atherton? Oh no, I knew you were going to ask me that straight away. <laughs> well, there's so many different, you know, did you say to him, I've seen better batsmen in my fridge? No, I never said it in the fridge. No, no, I didn't. Um, no, I didn't. I, I basically said I've seen better batters in a fish and chip shop. Right. Uh, which makes better sense. Um, <laughs> and uh, he actually howled, he laughed his head off. It was done all in good banter, um, relatively. Um, you know, I've got to make this one point right Michael yeah. Averton it was one of my heroes uh, growing up and then all of a sudden I'm on the pitch with him and getting a chance to bowl at probably one of the best batters England's ever produced I thought I've got to do something here to get him out of his <laughs> comfort zone somehow um, which we did and uh, I got him out actually nicked yeah. him off a couple of times I think if I remember rightly, he retired after that, so I must have done him a treat. So you're saying that you ended others' career? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff. Well, um, you were actually, you played for Yorkshire, that was your first yeah. county, but you were actually born in Bury in Lancashire. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me a bit about your childhood? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, I used to play for Hayward Creek Club. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got some unbelievable memories from when I could even first remember, to be honest. Uh, we used to live at the top of the road there. Hayward Creek Club used to be called the Crimble, um, yeah. and there was, uh, you know, we used to go down basically uh, from the top of my road straight down into the Queen's Park there, and many, many, many a time, my, me and the family, my mum, my dad, my brother, that's where we used to live. It was the hub of the hub right from when I was two, three, four years old. Um, played my first game when I was seven. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, I'd only, that was under 13s at seven years old. Um, we used to play this thing called tip and run. Yeah. 
and all you need to do is hit the bat, hit the ball, and just throw the bat in the air, and off you go. Because obviously that that's what we used to. <laughs> so I'm all padded up in the middle of this first game under thirties. And the first memory is literally because I never scored many runs, as you know. No. So I was quite happy, <laughs> quite happy when I clattered one. And I literally, I was so nervous. I threw the bat about eight feet in the air, and I've just, I've gone up, and I've even gone back, picked my bat up, and got back in again. So those are my first sort of memories. But Hayward Cricket Club are a great club. Yeah, um, got still got some smashing friends up there. Bobby Cross is heavily involved there. Um, Kate Cross is now playing for England, mm. um, or has played for England, and has. Played, had a brilliant career there. Um, it's it's a great club. Uh, it used to be part of the Central Anglia League, and now obviously that's been disbanded. Um, but I remember playing a lot of first team cricket there, playing up against the likes of Ezra Mosley, Kyle Hooper, you know, Gus Logie, Hansi Cronier. Yeah. You know, and going up on at 13 years old and bowling at people like that um, really was a baptism of fire, really. And I always remember my first hero at Haywood was uh, a bowler who was six foot nine and it's a guy called Kirtley Ambrose. Oh yeah. Um, and he probably was probably one of the biggest sort of uh, role models for me really and icons that I wanted to sort of emulate. So yeah, Harry Creek Club was, was where I started and, and obviously mum and dad live in Bury and that's how we have that link there. Did you play with Kirtley Ambrose then? No, I never played with him. I was yeah. only sort of nine at the time. Right. Nine or ten. Um, but so I just remember watching him bowl, and he was he in the first team then. He was. And I, well, I mean, he's not going to be in the seconds, but <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. I mean, he had a hell of a year. He got 115 wickets in a season. Wow! And uh, it was a, there were the wettest wickets in the world as well. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how he did it, but um, I remember one particular game, and it goes down in history now. Um, he was not bowling particularly well, and some scout from North Ants. Um, came and literally just pulled up onto the ground pulled up at the end of the ground and uh, David Fair said to him um, you better pull your finger out because you do realise who that is over there don't you and he went and got nine for and we never saw him again <laughs> <laughs> um, no but he was um, he was fantastic to watch very quiet very unassuming had pants that were half masked he never, he never had a pair of pants that fit him they're, they're the memories that you remember for being at Haywood really and I owe them a huge amount really yeah. without them I wouldn't have been able to have that early grounding in cricket Was it always fast bowling then? Obviously you were tip and run you, you didn't really fancy batting were you always a quick bowler? Well to be honest mate when you well when you used to go through more helmets than bats <laughs> as a batter I think worked out that actually probably the bowling was the best thing I needed to go for um, <laughs> No, I, I loved batting. I loved batting, um, but it and I was always sort of seen as a blocker. Yeah, uh, I used to get my capabilities and my ambitions mixed up a little bit, to be honest. Um, used to play a really good shot and think I were, you know, think I were bloody Brian Lara or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, but yeah, no. I, I mean, as a bowler, um, I just loved it, and I think one of the things with the bat, you've only got one chance. Yeah. With the bowl, you've got six. Mm. And I love that. I love the battle. You know, and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. But I love the battle of the batsman versus the bowler. And as a bowler, you're the one in control. Because I can't do a thing until you let go of it. So, you know, and I, and I liked that element of it. I wanted to be seen as somebody who could make a difference in a cricket match and win for my mates. Um, and with the ball, I felt I could do that. With the bat, I certainly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it? Were, were you uh, an academic 
kid? Did you? I mean, what was school like? Was it always sport, or did you did did, did you try hard at school? Uh, I did try hard. I was a very good, <laughs> not the most intelligent man in the world. I did all right. I got I got ten GCSEs, one yeah. A, a few Bs, quite a few Cs, maybe the odd D and E here and there. Um, Doing the alphabet, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, look, I I was um, I went to Elton High School, and Elton High School was a um, school in Walshire, Bury, and it was a school of Gary Neville and Phil Neville. Yeah. And uh, I owe Gary quite a lot, actually, um, and a huge amount because um, I used to have a problem um, where I blacked out um, and uh, basically I'd got hit in a football match. My football skills weren't the best, um, but some big centre-half have gone up to a header and knocked me out. Right. And um, Gary, Gary Neville, actually, um, I swallowed my tongue and he got my tongue out. Um, and uh, I always remember... I always remember him and the, the head girl was a lady called Sarah Wigglesworth and she was absolutely stunning. I wish it had been her that helped me, but... <laughs> uh, but no, Gary, I, I owe Gary a lot. And Phil, Phil's an exceptional cricketer as well as a footballer. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting. He was two years older than me, Phil. He might have been a year older than me. And um, he was he did really well at 14. I think he got 100 in both innings for Lancashire. Um, in a second eleven game, and they offered him a contract, and then mm. Manchester United came in and offered yeah. him something a little bit bigger than that. So yeah, as a school, Elton High School was always sporty. As a academically, you know, I had to work a, had to work very hard. I still keep in touch with some of the teachers there now: Neil Parkinson, Phil Young, and Mr. Crawley. You know, they're all they're all people there that um, have followed my career, and uh, I've kept in touch with them. They came to my wedding. Um, you know, so I've got a lot of good links there, and again, I'll owe Elton a hell of a lot, really. With his academic career not taking off, Steve Kirby pursues his passion of cricket. Scouted by Leicestershire in his teens after playing his trade in the Lancashire Leagues, in 1994, Steve goes to Grace Road and signs on a YTS scheme for £25 a week. A year later, he gets his first full professional contract. But before he can make his first team debut, he's let go, following a career-threatening back injury. Steve takes a job as a floor salesman, but won't give up his cricket dreams. You know, I had a lot of soul-searching to do. Um, you'd, when you feel like your dream's gone and you think you're going to get, you know, you've got no chance of making it back, you, you really have to dig deep. And I went and sold floors. Yeah, um, it, was it linoleum? Yeah, well, it was a bit more than that. It was, yeah. it was contract flooring for right. a company called West Coats Flooring. Okay, and where were they based? They're based in um, Broughton Astley right. um, in Leicestershire, um, and a guy called Carl Nickel, who I again owe a hell of a lot to. Um, he uh, he helped me for those few years, and slowly but surely, I was getting myself physically stronger. Um, Started to trial elsewhere. Carl was very, very, very supportive of that. Um, he owned the business. He owned the business. Yeah, was doing pretty well. Was he, is he, was he a cricket fan, or did he just no big sporting fan in in in, yeah. in, in a family friend actually, uh, family uncle of if you like um, of my wife. Um, he was my wife's uncle, um, and uh, he, yeah, he was hugely helpful to me. But it got to the point where we were trialling a lot everywhere and still trying to do my job. And then I was able then to go and trial with Yorkshire. Mm. And 
telling you my whole life story here, Will. Well, that's the point of the podcast, Kerbs. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's, um, and it was quite, a, quite an interesting moment, really, because I wanted it so much. Leicestershire had come back in for me to play. And I remember my father-in-law, Pete, saying, don't go back and play for Leicestershire, you'd be crazy. And I said, no, I'm going to go and play. And it was against Glamorgan. And I let him have it. I got six for. And then I then went and trialled the week after for Yorkshire and bowled really well. I had a little purple patch in the second team where I was... You almost missed your net, though, didn't you? Because you, you, were, you were working down in Surrey. <laughs> yes, right. And you had a net to trial up in Yorkshire and you almost didn't make it. That's a great, yeah. I don't know how you found that out, but I did, you're right. Steve Oldham was running the academy nets. And I'd, I was caught in so much traffic getting up. I was ringing Esso, I was going, yes, I, I'm really struggling, I might not make it here. Just get here when you can, Curbs, don't you worry. And this was the first time, I'd not even played a game by that point, this was in the winter. And he, uh, I got there and I just let him have it in, the, in this academy. Like There was some really good players in there as well. Tim Bresnan was part of the academy at the time. And uh, at that point, they'd, that I think was around about March time. And then, as I said, I, from around about sort of April, April to May, I was then able then to go and play a game for, for Leicestershire and then play some second 11 games for Yorkshire. And I never sort of looked back. But um, the story goes, Will, that I'd got no holiday left whatsoever. Like literally, I'd trialled everywhere. Yeah. And Carl had lost, I started to lose patience with me. Yeah. And quite rightly too, he had a business to run. So you, you were using your annual leave to go and net to and try more, and get back into and cricket? more than annual leave. More than, you know, you only get a certain amount of days a year. Yeah. And I was chewing them up, playing cricket. Okay. Still trying to still trying to place orders for West Coast. But then, and then Carl said to me at one point, you know, because I'd already done well. I'd took a 10 for in a second 11 game, done a 5 for for Leicester, you know, and I'd already bought, played nicely, but I'd got no holiday left. And he said, I remember I was on the phone waiting for an order, big order to come in. And Esso rang me and he goes, Curbs, you, uh, <laughs> we need you to play tomorrow. <laughs> and I've gone, Esso, I can't, mate. He's gone, you better add. I said, I can't, I've got no holiday left, Es. And he said, no, 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 you better better play because it's the first team. <laughs> and I've literally almost dropped the phone. I was like, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, he said, and I, start, I said, well, the game's already started, game, day two of a game. You know, they've already started just today. He said, yeah, look, Oggy's been called up for England. If yeah. you don't want to play, I'll get someone else, he said. I said, wait there, wait there. <laughs> so I put the phone, I said, ring you back in five minutes. I went down, I sort of cap in hand to Carl again. And I said, Carl, can I just, I'm desperate to play another game. He said, look, I've had enough here. You've got no holiday left, you're not playing. You either make a decision, that's enough. And I, I was like, and I was gutted. And he could tell how gutted I was. And he said, Curbs, he said, you're going to have to make a decision here. You know that, don't you? They're messing you around. Yorkshire either want you or they don't. And I said, well, it's the first team, Carl. I forgot to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd gone, what, the first team? I said, he, he said, yeah. I said, well, he said, I'm driving you up there. And he did. He picked me up, put me in the car and drove me all the way up. And um, yeah, it was... Unbelievable, mate. It was one of those where you just, you know, you, you. I look back on it now, it gets you quite emotional, really. Yeah. Because without him, I wouldn't have been able to get where I am, really. 
So, on the 6th of June 2001, Carl drives Steve up the motorway in a last-minute dash so he can make his first-class debut a day into Yorkshire, Kent at Headingley. It's a dream start. Steve takes 7 for 50 as Yorkshire win the game by nine wickets. I can't really explain what it was like. All the pent-up frustration, all of everything that had built up over a period of a few years there, the coming back off a back injury, the being told you're never going to bowl again, coming back, getting a new, building yourself back up with your action, then realising you'd had this journey over time to get the dream again, and then all of a sudden you... I'd visualised getting Rob Key out. I know the pitch was keeping a little bit low from one end, from from the top end, and... Um, from the Kirkstall end and, and, and I, I just pictured the, literally the ball nipping back and just mopping him up and it did it happened exactly that way um, and I never looked back and took the odd wicket here and there in that game and you took 7 for 50 <laughs> 7 for 50 and won the match for Yorkshire I mean it's kind of Royal the Rovers stuff this and you're 24 at the time yeah. seven years earlier you'd been released you say that when you were sort of 17, 18 you say you weren't mentally strong enough I mean, for most people, that would have just knocked them off. They'd have gone and pursued another career, but you had that. Where do you have that mental fortitude to be able to, to do that? God, I don't know. Well, you, when you want something bad enough, when you really, really, really want something, um, you can achieve anything. Um, and I wasn't going to give in. I wanted, I wanted to play for England more than anything. Mm. Um, and I wanted to be a professional cricketer more than anything. And I'm a great believer that it's not how high you get, it's how low you get and how well you pick yourself back up again. Mm. Um, and I wasn't, I, you know, it, I can't really explain what it was like. You, I'd watched all these lads, they, the lads in that Yorkshire dressing room, they were my heroes. Your Darren Goffs, your Ryan Sidebottoms, your Chris Silverwood, your Michael Vaughan's, Darren, you know, all these people, Darren Lee, you know. They, and all of a sudden I'm now in the same dressing room as him. And I remember walking into that dressing room with my head down and my bags like me. And I remember looking at, thinking, oh my God, I, I was so nervous. And I remember sitting down at the other end of that dressing room and uh, every single person came up and shook me by the hand, which I thought was smashing, like amazing. And every one of them said, Tango, we've heard a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> and it, like first time I've been proper called Tango, to be honest. And uh, but you know when you just feel like you, there was no egos in that team? Yeah. And just to get that chance to play in that team and just was, was just special, mate. So just to get, I don't know quite what you, where, where do you, where do you, you, do, you sometimes just got to dig down deep and if you want it bad enough, you get it. And that season, Yorkshire win the county title, 2001, you're part of that side. Ryan Sidebottom, Craig White, Richard Dawson, Chris Silverwood, Gavin Hamilton, Matthew Hoggard. <laughs> That's the bowlers and plus Steve Kirby. Um, and you were the leading wicket taker and you only started half, well, about a third of the way through the season. So um, does 2001, even though it's kind of your first year as a county player, mm. does it rank for you as one of your, was it the best year, uh, summer of cricket for you? Yes and no. I mean, it was amazing to play with not only your, what seemed to be your heroes at the time, but then became really, really good friends. Um, and Yorkshire had never won a championship for 33 years. So to win it that year was, I didn't understand the significance of what we'd achieved until a few years later, to be honest. 
I remember winning it at Scarborough and I saw, you know, the place was packed. And I remember Michael Vaughan sitting down with us in the dressing room and he said, treasure every moment of this. Sign every autograph. Re try and remember it because it'll be gone in a heartbeat. He said, but look at those people out there. Look what you've achieved. And I always remember something that I'll never, ever forget. And it was four games out and we just got... Well, I think we just got beat actually. And um, I think it was a couple of one day games. And Wayne Clark sat us all down in the dressing room, right? And Wayne Clark was an amazing coach. And he said, right guys, sort of a bit of a telling off, but he also said, look, I want you to look, look at each other in the dressing room. And I always remember, it was to, he said, look to your left. And mine was Ryan Sidebottom to my left. He said, look him in the eye. And we were all like, what the hell is he on about here? <laughs> You know, this is not right, this. Um, and I remember having quite an awkward little stare. <laughs> and, uh, with those curling, flowing yeah, locks. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, where's he going with this? And um, we said, no, seriously, he said, look him in the eye. He said, because in four games' time, you're either going to have something special with him and the other blokes you've got in this dressing room, or you're not. He said, so, you know, you can play for your hundreds, you can play for your fifers, or you can play for that bloke that next, sat next door to you in the dressing room. It was one of the most powerful things anyone's ever, ever done in a chat. And I remember, he said, because when you're in a bar and you're 55 or 60, and he said, you've won this championship in four games time, you're gonna have something so special with those people. That's for me is more than, more than anything you can do individually. And, and it was really powerful. And that resonated with me big time. And now, even though we've won it 2001, and how many years later are we, we have a special bond with every single one of those people in that team. And wherever they are now, quite a lot of them are coaches, actually. Quite a lot of them, I mean, Chris Silverwood's even the England fast bowling coach. <laughs> yeah, and, indeed. You know, so it's a very, very, it was very special 2001. And you said I took a few wickets that year. It wasn't difficult taking wickets when you got bowlers like that at the other end. It was relentless. They had four main seamers every game and you know it was and Craig White who was batting in your top five who bowled speed of light you know if some red-headed so-and-so could come on at the other <laughs> end and just mop up then I was exceptionally lucky uh, to be bowling in a team like that Let's talk a little bit now about Lords um, Cheltenham and Gloucester Trophy Final 2002 Yorkshire are there was that the first time you came to Lords? Um can you remember? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I had played, I had played there before, but not in a first-class match. Um, but yeah, I was, the story there goes: I was living with Chris Silverwood, right? Who's one of my bestest mates in cricket, full stop. And he basically had been bowling pretty much half the season with two fractured pieces of bone floating around in his ankle, and I knew how much pain he was in but he weren't missing this game <laughs> and I'd been told about 10 days before you're playing Kerbs you're playing and I'm like I'm not think I am <laughs> so basically uh, Silvers um, was struggling and that morning of the game I'd prepared as if I was playing yeah it was against Somerset wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. 2002 yeah and I prepared as if I was playing well and uh, Silvers had gone off and got a couple of the big injections in his ankle and I'm thinking, God, there's about 45 minutes here before we start to play. I thought, I'm in here, I'm playing. <laughs> and then 
literally like Lazarus he came dancing <laughs> down <laughs> dancing the steps and I, I, I was caught between two emotions really massively gutted and disappointed I weren't playing in this final but also really happy that you one of your best mates was still going to be at a chance to play so really caught between the two anyway we won the game it didn't matter I think there's a picture there where you see me absolutely going bananas on a on a yeah there you are <laughs> the balcony <laughs> the that young was one hell of a party I can tell you that you were much more ginger then yeah you know, your hair's faded over the years well you know a lot of people go grey I think I've <laughs> <laughs> what I love about this photo is it's the 2002 C&G final and yeah. on the balcony is that Gavin Hamilton with a cam- yeah. with an old school camcorder no no camera phones or anything Can we have a quick look on the him? left no that's is it Gav oh, somebody yeah it is Gavin Hamilton yeah, yeah it is he's got like an old school uh, you know camcorder the sort of they used to do like kids parties yeah. with when you were a kid growing up you know those, right. those worry ones <laughs> there was a bin on the left hand side of that picture right, yeah. that we dressed up like R2-D2 <laughs> <laughs> that was. And there was, oh, anyway it's a running joke in the dressing room it's probably not going to make anything yeah. any sense here whatsoever but he followed us everywhere this um, this bin we made a bin everywhere we went in every game what so every match you went to yeah if there was a bin you dressed it up as R2-D2 dre- dre- dressed it up and give it this one bah, bah, like this <laughs> and we just it was I mean it's not going to make any sense to anybody now but um, yeah he sort of was our little little mascot in the dressing room and uh, he held us in good stead I tell you the innings that, that game of Matt Elliott got 150 odd and Anthony McGuire got I think 90-ish I think and we chased we chased down a hell of a target yeah it on would, a pretty good pitch it was uh, Somerset uh, 256 for 8 mm. and then um, let's just check who got the wickets well 5 for from Hoggard Silverwood didn't get wickets so maybe you should have played Kerbs but you um, right. I think you were pretty <laughs> economical it, it was very economical 8 overs 1 maiden 0 for 30 so yeah. Um, so yeah Somerset set uh, 257 to win and yeah, it was Matt Elliott, the um, the Australian overseas, 128 not out Did he? with uh, two overs to spare. Yorkshire won by six wickets in the end. Mm. Uh, fantastic effort. I just want to ask one question. Mm. You'll know the answer. Mm. Uh, why was Chris Silverwood batting at number three? <laughs> Did he go in at a pinch hitter? Did he score any runs in that game? He got a duck. He batted at three and faced three balls and was bowled by Richard Johnson. I think he was he, at that point in the in the in that campaign. Yeah, he'd gone in and he was seen as like a bit of a pinch hitter, and we were going to see if we could get above the rate quite quickly. Obviously, I didn't get many, but God bless him. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll presents the Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But the celebrations at Lord's are short-lived. Yorkshire are relegated to Division 2 of the County Championship just a year after winning the title. But things are going well for Steve. In 2003, he takes 67 wickets in the season. The reward? A call-up for the England A-side. We went to India. It was such a shock to the system. Um, knowing, I remember going up, first game out in India. This is a good story. I went, went out and uh, we're playing at Amaritsa and we're playing against India A um, and my first ball of a four day game bearing in mind the pitch was relatively green in India which is very unheard of at that time it was North India right on the sort of border um, and uh, <laughs> some bloke hit me for the first ball of a four day game over extra cover for six right? <laughs> and my first over went for 24 and we got this poke out in the fourth over and he got 47 and you know who it was? Um, when was this? 2003 04. Yeah. Um, Virinda Sewag? <laughs> MS Dhoni. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely belted me everywhere. Um, yeah, so that was, my, that was my first sort of, oh my God, I'm in India and I'm coming up against these people. So, yeah, um, loved it. Absolutely loved being part of that. There's some great stories in India which I could tell you all about, maybe not on a podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> was, was there part of you that when you were out there and, okay, not wasn't great fun being hit by MS Dhoni for six over extra cover, but soft, did you, was it a pinch yourself moment? You think, wait a minute, you know, yeah. two, two, three years ago I was, um, I was a floor salesman. Now I'm touring with an England A-side. Yeah. In the the most cricket mad country in the world, India, you know that must have been a, a special or a, yeah, a hugely special. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely pinch your moment because that's exactly what it was. It was surreal, and you had to. And I never ever lost sight of where I'd come from. Never all the way through my career. Do you think um, that's grounded you as a player? Without doubt, without doubt. And then obviously coming coming into coaching um, now, I think it's hugely important that players have a level of adversity in their life not horrendous but some level of adversity because it does ground you and it does give you a real appreciation um, of what you've got and uh, yeah obviously going out to India that was quite a I can't tell you honestly there was some <laughs> brilliant story uh, that, that, that was the tour that KP um, got 500s in five innings before he'd even got anywhere near the England side he's playing England Day and in yeah it was it was five innings he got five hundred consecutively and look look what happened to him how did you find KP in the dressing room I mean we we know the stories of KP yeah. but what was your impressions of him how was he good man yeah nice fella um, bit of a lone wolf what a match winner worked harder than I've ever seen anyone work on a cricket um, I, I was really gutted actually watching watching his sort of falling away from the England side and I was more disappointed really with you know I've got to be careful what I say but more disappointed really with England management not understanding him as a, as a person um, believe, I believe 
you've got to understand what drives and motivates people. He's a match winner. Mm. Yeah, granted, he probably, to his own admission, maybe would have dealt with things in a slightly different way at times, which, you know, you can't ever sort of, you know, but people do things in the heat of the moment, don't they? Um, but I always found him top class. Yeah. I always found him a great bloke to have around. He was the bloke you'd want in the trenches with you. Yeah. Because he'd always come out fighting. Um, hell of a player. I <laughs> 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 didn't enjoy bowling with him, I can tell you that. Did, you, did he ever give you any batting tips? Because I've, I've read stories that he, he, <laughs> he would coach the youngsters or help out with their batting. Did he ever, was there ever a um, Peterson on Kirby session? Well, I think he had one session with him and went, look, I can't polish a what's it here. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's only so much I can do. <laughs> I've got to get rid of this fella. <laughs> no, he, he did help me once, but, you know, it was once. <laughs> So, so by 2004, um, your sort of your Yorkshire career comes to an end, and you move to Gloucestershire for five years. Yeah. Um, quite soon after signing for them, you were done for ball tampering in <laughs> June 2005. Oh, yeah. um, you were accused and found guilty of altering the condition of the ball after it was hit into a car park in Cardiff during a game. Against Glamorgan, yeah, um, you were accused of basically rolling it across the car park to scuff it up. I didn't roll it across the car park. I did a lot more than that. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not really what you want. Look, I I tell you what it was. I'd learned how to reverse swing a cricket ball yeah. when we were out in India, and Elliot was playing. <laughs> Elliot was playing for uh, Glamorgan at the time and smacking it everywhere, yeah. and we were chasing leather pretty much for a day and a bit, right, and. Ian Fisher were bowling <laughs> left arm spin spinning it into him and he just kept lap slogging this ball on regular occurrence out of the ground at what was the old Sophia Gardens mm. so before the new ground had obviously been built so it kept getting whacked over and I, I thought if that ball gets hit out of the ground again I'm going after that <laughs> so I did went literally legging it after the ball and our 12th man was a guy called James Avery <laughs> And I'm smiling now, please forgive me. I'm smiling because the ball got hit into the opposite car park, the, the university bit, the car park at the back. And I shouted to Avo, throw it at me, throw it at me. So I let it bounce along the floor about three times as cricket ball. <laughs> and I let it hit me. And um, I thought to myself, I've got to try and see what the ball, colour of this ball, you know, condition of this ball is like. And it was right next, right at the back of the pavilion. And Stupidly, I just scragged it along the cricket on the floor, right? Almost lost half an hemisphere of the ball, right? <laughs> and I looked up and there was this security guard looking straight at me. <laughs> and I've gone, oh no. Like, anyway, he, he sort of, he was a bit shocked. James Averis was a bit shocked at what I'd done. It was a stupid thing I'd done, right? And I threw this ball onto the pitch. And God rest his soul, John Hampshire, who's now not with us, he looked at the ball, he looked at it in his head. Now run with that, carry on. <laughs> at which point, now the ball starts going round corners, right? I couldn't bowl with the ball, he didn't even put me on. So my little escapade didn't even work because I couldn't even use the ball that you... we were now swinging the ball around. But I remember John Derrick, who again, God rest his soul, what a lovely man. Um, he was actually, um, he was watching me do this. He'd stuck his head out of the dressing room at the back and he'd sit, anyway, he came running onto the pitch in the middle of a first class match and he's like Kirby's a cheat and and I clearly had I had cheated and I was so, so gutted so about what I'd done John Derrick was at Glamorgan he was coach of he was coach of Glamorgan at the right. time and um, anyway cut long story short they we had a hearing 
And one of the funniest <laughs> moments of that hearing, Tim Munton was in there, a guy called Mr. Gabitas. Um, and we had to do like a, a conference call with as, an, as a witness. And James Avis was the witness. And I'm laughing because... I don't know if you've ever seen the Fast Show. Have you ever seen the Fast Show? Bits of it, yeah. There used to be a scene on it, right? And he, because he said, um, Mr. Avis, he said, can you explain your comment, please? Um, <laughs> when Stephen allegedly, Mr. Kirby allegedly scragged this ball on the concrete floor, um, you was here to say to the security guard, <laughs> um, you haven't seen me, all right. <laughs> 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 At which point now everyone's trying not to smile in the in this very serious hearing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he said you haven't seen the fast show of you guys. He said because you know it was more of a joke really rather than a. Anyway, cut long story short, I got I got the book thrown at me for that, and wasn't one of my proudest moments, will. But no, funny. It happens. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were doing well at Gloucestershire in 2009. You took 64 wickets at 22.18. So, but then you moved to Somerset. Uh, we'll move on to that now. You know, you come to Somerset in 2011 to 14. Yeah. Um, what was the reason for the move? Was it Gloucestershire were playing Div Two cricket and you wanted to be back in Division One, or was it just time for a change? Or were you haunted by your ball tampering? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> Look, my, I'd, I, mean, I had some amazing times at Gloucestershire. Yeah. Um, I was awarded a benefit year. I'd signed a three-year contract. And I was looking around at my career at that moment in time. I was taking wickets. I was bowling well. We tried to get up into the first division, but we couldn't. Missed out narrowly on a few occasions. And I just thought, look, I don't want any regrets at the end of my career. So I, you know, um, with, a, with a heavy heart actually said, look, I want to move, but I want to move to a first division club. I didn't want to move too far away. Um, and I, I actually turned down the benefit year, so that was you know financially probably a, a suicidal thing to do. But like I said, I, I wanted to play for England, and at that point I took a lot of wickets and I wasn't making it. And I, as it happens, I made another tour. We got to a couple of finals by moving to Somerset. I then ended up in the Champions League in India again, <laughs> <laughs> um, which. You know, so I look back on it now. Yeah, maybe I lost a few quid in out of a benefit year, and maybe I upset a couple of people by actually moving to the enemy from Gloucestershire. Yeah. Um, but I hope people understood at the time my reasons for doing it. It wasn't at any stage at all a thing that was um, a detrimental thing to some, to to Gloucestershire. It was simply the fact I wanted to play for England so desperately that at the end of my career, if I'd have had any regrets, I would have hated myself. And now I don't have any regrets whatsoever. I gave it everything I had. Because you clearly still felt that you could play for England at the time. You didn't feel that that ship had sailed. No, I was only 30. Yeah. You say only 30, but these days, you know, in, mm. for modern cricket, that's it's, it's getting on a bit for a quick bowler. You've only got a few years left and yeah. you haven't quite made the cut. Yeah, no, true, true. Of course it is. But look, I mean, at the end of the day... If I'd have took that benefit year, I'd have been thirty-two. What would we? What would I have done then? Took a, took a few quid. I'd you know been yeah, that's fine and and wonderful. And I was very appreciative of everybody's support and want to help me there. And I was hugely honoured to get that. I really was. But you know, ultimately, what do we play this game for? We play this game to be the very best you could possibly be, and and to give it everything you've ever got, um, and not. I always I look now in my coaching. I'm 
I'm looking for a challenge seeker. I'm looking for a challenge hunter. I'm looking for somebody who is a hungry, humble learner. Well, I'd still had a lot of learning to do. Still, I've got a lot of learning to do. And, you know, I could not have been true to my values, true to what I stand by, if I'd have took that benefit year and just sat there and, and took mediocrity. I wanted to challenge myself. I took, went to an amazing county with some amazing players, pulled on a very flat pitch. I was six foot three when I went there, you know. <laughs> I'm now about five foot nine. <laughs> Going on the M5 motorway is not what you want. Um, but no, look, I, I, I have no regrets. No regrets. I loved every moment that I was at Somerset. Let's talk about one of those memories. Um, when you're at Somerset, uh, I think it was at Lords that this incident happened. <laughs> uh, you were playing in a game against Sussex and yeah. you got pinned. Tell I me did. about that. Well, it was one of several occasions I got pinned, Will. Um, <laughs> um, as I said to you earlier, I, got, I used to go through more helmets than bats, actually. My bat sponsor at the time was Millie Champion Hall. I think I had one bat that lasted me two years. I was his best, I was his best person. Rob Chambers, who's one of my closest friends now. Um, <laughs> he used to go through, like I said, he used to be like, how many helmets do you want? The sheer curves, you know what I mean? Um, this one was a bad one really bad Champions Champions uh, County game against Sussex Ryan Harris was playing for Sussex bowling very quickly I can honestly say he didn't hit me thank God <laughs> otherwise he was bowling very quick um, I remember bowling very well in the first innings England had selected that game so I was on the cusp of playing I took a four for I think it was coming into um, I think I went night watchman it was a night watchman uh, scenario Luke Wright's bowling from the pavilion end pitch is slightly sloping down the hill as you know yeah and uh, he bounced me the first one and I thought well if it's going down the hill I'll go the other way just duck inside it duck inside yeah. it get, get inside anyway this thing sort of went up the hill and uh, <laughs> clanged me on the side of the helmet right anyway my pieces of my helmet are floating around everywhere so I, I was like oh my anyway got a new helmet on about two or three balls later he had a very naughty bouncer on him, Luke Wright, and a great bloke as well. Um, and uh, anyway, the next one sort of did jack back down the hill, but I then sort of backed away, and I turned my head away, and this thing hit me around the back of the ear. And I just, I mean, the pictures of it now, if you can ever watch it, it was horrendous. And I literally knocked me clean out on the pitch. I've gone down on the floor, and there was a genuine alert concern. I was out for a while. And uh, I always remember, <laughs> always remember waking up to Matt Pryor's face right in front of me, almost trying to give me the kiss of life. He had the breath of a thousand camels, honestly. <laughs> he was like, best, God bless him, <laughs> Matt. But he, anyway, I came round, and because it hit me on the back of the ear, I'd got a genuine balance problem. So I was like, I'm all right, I can get back up. <laughs> so I got back up, and I'm wobbling everywhere, Will, honestly. Um, so anyway, I, I clearly couldn't carry on. And I said, well, you're not getting a stretcher on. I'm not getting carted off loads. That's going to be the most embarrassing thing I've on a stretcher. So I walked off in a bad way. And I eventually got off and I got up the steps, went through the long room. And the long room was pretty packed. Mm. And I was like, I'm going here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go again. And I literally, I thought, I can't, I can't just black out in the middle of, a, middle of the long room at Lord's. So I had somehow got up onto the first set of staircases. You know the road, you know the route I'm telling you. And mm. we're going up to the away home dressing room, sorry. 
And I think I got halfway up, about six steps up the staircase, <laughs> and I woke up in hospital. Oh dear! It was a it was a horrendous one. Yeah, it was bad. But I used to go, like I said, I used to get hit quite a lot. Um, when when the captain would say uh, Kirby, you're on night watchman duty. Because <laughs> <laughs> now now you always. You know, whenever players now in front of the media, they get asked, you know, are you happy to be night watchman? And they sort of give the answer, yeah, anything for the team, happy to find... You didn't really think that, did you? Oh, for God's sake, again. Well, you bear in mind that game, England have picked the team, yeah? yeah. What was I going to turn around? I didn't want to face Ryan Harris bowling 94 mile an hour. You know, you want to be... I, I thought, no, I'm going to do it. Yeah, but you're not but in there for your batting. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> That's my point. No, yeah. do you really? Does any? Does anyone really want to do night watchman? No. <laughs> no, no, you don't. No, you don't. And I, God, I, I, there was another night watchman story at Scarborough. Yeah, Matthew Wood, who uh, jumped in batter for Yorkshire. He is a serious player. Serious player. Had hell of a year that year, two thousand and one. And he got a thousand runs. Anyway, Simon Jones is bowling at him, and um, he he bounced him. Jones, Simon, Chad Jones, Jonah was bowling very quick. And uh, he let him have one, and he sort of got the, through this hook shot, but totally mistimed it, and it went straight through and hit him on the eye. Oh, oh God! There's claret everywhere, and uh, it was terrible. <laughs> I'm going in that watchman next, <laughs> and I remember him being carted off this pitch, and oh my Lord! I, I was padded up to the nines. I was Simon Jones. It's a bit murky. There's a bit of a fret going on at uh, <laughs> yeah. fret going on at Scarborough. I know and the I remember, one. Yeah. And I remember literally going down there. I'm looking down the pitch and I'm facing Simon Jones bowling the speed of light, right? And I'm looking down on the pitch, there's a big pool of claret on the pitch. <laughs> like, this is not me. <laughs> <laughs> what have I signed up for? Exactly. In 2011, Steve walks out for Somerset in the Clydesdale Bank 40 final against Surrey here at Lords, They bat first and a young Joss Butler smashes 86 to take Somerset from 79 for 5 to 214 all out and give them a fighting chance. Too easy. Up and over. Has it gone all the way? I think it has. That's away for four. And 50 for Joss Butler been an uphill struggle for Somerset this innings but this is a, a superb knock from this young man what an, what an amazing cricketer Josh Butler is Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I feel so privileged that I've had a chance to play cricket with somebody as talented and as a great a bloke as he is um, let me tell you he's probably 19-20 at the time mm. in this game this, this told me at that time what a special cricketer he is because I'm going in last right <laughs> Now, I'm a cricketer that's played quite a few games at that point. Obviously, with my prowess with the bat, I'm going in number 11, you know what I mean? Um, but we're, we're in the cart. We're in the cart in a big, big way. And he took control. He took control of my nerves. He took control of... He gave me a very clear game plan. Arafat was bowling, bowling very quick. He said, he's either going to knock you on the head curbs <laughs> or he's going to blow your toe off. I was like, brilliant, thanks, thanks, Jaeger. You know, we called him Jaeger at the time, Josh. I said, cheers, Josh. And he, um, anyway, he goes, uh, now listen, what I want you to do, I want you to get your head out of the way and I want you to get your front foot out of the way. You've got five balls to block. 
He said, I'm not asking you to score anything because I'm going to take Durham back down at the other end. And he said, and all I'm going to ask you to do is just survive these five balls. Right? So I'm fine. I got my front foot out of the way. I knew exactly what he was trying to do. He tried to knock my head off twice and he tried to yoke me. I got out of there and he absolutely marmalised Jed Durnback, taking his slow balls, getting deep in the crease and just hitting him over deep mid-wicket. Goes big. Has he gone big enough? Yes, just. Brilliant effort in the deep. And we all know what type of cricketer he is now, don't we? Mm. What a special, special player. Um, and we're very lucky to have have a player like that but it was very clear to me his clarity under pressure his ability to be clear um, in difficult circumstances very difficult get us up to a total where we were competitive yeah um, and you know watching the way he goes about his business in practice and everything um, it's no surprise to me he's gone as far as he has and will carry on doing so he's going to be a special player all gone this time I think it's Morley Kartik again, it is. He put one down in the first over, but he's made no mistake from a slightly deeper position this time, and that's a wicket that Somerset badly needed. Going back to that game, wow. I mean, yeah, we won 35 for two. Got Steve Davis out. I think we got Jason Roy out quite quick. Yeah, Nicked him off. Caught him, caught behind, and then it was Rory Hamilton-Brown that sort of hit the match-winning innings of 78, but... You know, Nick Compton misses a run-out chance on 116 for three. Yeah, and he's, he's trying to run out Hamilton Brown, which would put them four down and still needing uh, 90-odd yeah. to win. Mm. You know, it's moments like that where on the, on the pitch, you, you need everything to go right for you. Oh, have to scamper. Hamilton Brown would have gone with a direct hit. I'm sure of that. And it's very tight and Hamilton Brown miles out of his ground. You know, if we'd have put a 240 score on, which was very capable of, that game would have been completely different. But, you know, sometimes you look back on those situations and, yeah, I mean, it's not a nice feeling. Not a nice feeling walking into a final and coming out on the wrong side of it. That'll do nicely. It's through, down to the boundary. Spriegel punches the air. Surrey Lions win the Clydesdale Bank 40 in some style too it's absolutely sickening disappointment for Somerset but not for these boys the Lions are out of their cage what's the dressing room like at Lords after that defeat I mean just to sort of compare it to 2002, you've got a dustbin dressed as R2-D2 and you're all having a party. Yeah. It must be completely different then. Yeah, it is. It is. But, you know, I think um, at that particular time, Andy Harry was brilliant. Uh, Jason Kerr was brilliant. It's no surprise to me that Somerset are going to do as well as they are doing now with those two people at the helm. Um, they were really, really, really pragmatic. They were... They've given us a great speech. Yes, of course, people are down, people are upset, people don't want to lose. You know, no one ever means to lose. Um, but we had to pick ourselves up really quick. You know, we're on our way to the Champions League. Mm. You know, we had to qualify for that for a start. We had to go and play two games out in India. And we only had a day before we were on the plane. So it, it was a case of, yeah, you know, let's, let's pick ourselves up let's learn from those mistakes you'll get to this point again many many times some of, the, some of those players in the dressing room now 
you know, that, sorry, that were there then. Look at them, they're, they're playing for Somerset now. And there's some great cricketers in that dressing room. And what did we do? We went on to the Champions League and we finished last four in the world. You know, and that was a true testament to the management team, to the players, um, and the way that we picked ourselves up. We were underdogs when we went out to India. And we flew the flag really, really high and did brilliantly. So, yeah, it was, yeah, people were down, people were upset, people were gutted. Um, you'll bounce back. Let's talk about retirement now. You make the decision a couple of seasons later, you, you call it a day on your playing career. How hard was that? <laughs> Tough. Toughest thing I've ever, I've ever had to do. Um, look, I mean, I had a, a real problem with my shoulder at the time, Will. I mean, I was, God, I mean, you know, I had to have a shoulder injury, a shoulder operation. I had to get back from that. I'd, I'd still got two years left on my contract. I could have keep, kept going maybe, but the consultant said, look, Steve, and I, what, what was happening was after I got back off to this shoulder op, I'd, my shoulder was just getting very unstable every time I bowled. And I thought I was getting there, I really did. And then I went playing in a second team game and I, I went to throw a ball in and stupidly trying to run somebody out from long off, which I've never done in my career. Um, and uh, yeah, the next thing we know, it's shoulders everywhere. But yeah, very tough, very tough. Probably the hardest thing a cricketer has to cope with is being told you're not going to be able to have a play again. I'd already been there so many years before. I was lucky that I got as far as I got. Um, but then, you know, I call it the fall, right? You, 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 you're at this high level in your career and then all of a sudden you hit rock bottom and your self-esteem goes, you, the transition out of cricket into another part of your life, what are you going to do, how are you going to do it? You have to dig deep again. You really do and it's not an easy thing to um, sort of get your head around, but you have to. And, all I, and so when I was able to take this job on with the MCC, I had such affinity and sort of um, sympathy and and help with these players because I knew where they'd been I knew where they were and um, I know my only advice to any player while you're still playing is get someone to fall back to mm. while she's still playing because while she still have that opportunity you it's a lot easier to do it then and also it'll help you go into your cricket with a lot less fear and a lot more chance to go and express yourself I had a sort of exit strategy but there's another two or three years on from that um, and I went and went into recruitment I went to a company called Michael Page who I owe a lot to very thankful for um, but you know if I'd have had my time again I probably probably would have had something a little bit more substantial to go back into at, at the end of my career and it's tough mate it is tough and it sounds like I'm getting down about it I'm not down look at the end of the day sport's about bouncing back I've done mm. that all the way through my career and this, this was another occasion of that then going into being into recruitment but then actually getting a chance to take a job on like this with yeah. MCC 
yeah. um, for a few years. I, I, that was amazing, absolutely amazing. Let's finish on that then. So you retire in 2013-14, that's your cricket career done. Yeah. Well, almost mirroring your sort of your earlier life, you go into another profession, you go into recruitment. Yeah. And then two years later, 2016, you become the Marlebone Cricket Club head coach based at Lords. Yeah. You spend three seasons as the head coach with the young cricketers. Just in a nutshell, I mean, what is that programme and how were those three years for you? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Very grateful to the club for giving me that opportunity. I think I was more shocked than them <laughs> when I got the role. Um, but no, I mean, look, it's a finishing school for a late developer. Um, it's a support network for counties. Um, it's not seen as talent development. It's seen as talent confirmation. And then one of the things I did when I first arrived in the programme was change the age group change what was what what it was needing to do and that is to help counties talent confirm a player that gets out of the academy and is either blocked from financial or lack of opportunity or you know just a chance where they just maybe not quite got those two facets of the game that they need yeah. so you partner with a the county they fund some of it into the program and then hopefully you get one of these guys over the line and back into county cricket that's the plan but there's also another part to the program and that is to help international countries as well which I'm very proud of to have set up and helped. Um, ICC needs help there with high-performing countries, and we do that. We've helped Ireland, Scotland, New Zealand. We have a wonderful partnership with, I say we, I'm still, still a massive MCC member. And <laughs> the heart's there. And, and the member, yeah, of course. You know, and, um, you know, and I'm very, very proud of what we did for three years. I think we got 11 or 12 contracts out of two and a half years. And the programme's got... 287 players have come through that programme since 2003, you know. And um, 63 have gone on to first-class contracts. 32 have played A to us and 26 have played international cricket for Test cricket. And there were eight international captains through that programme. It's one of the best things MCC ever does. Um, hugely proud to say I was part of that. Mm. Hugely proud that MCC does what it does for cricket and uh, was an amazing grounding for Steve Kirby to try and move on from there and I wish all the very very best to the next person that's coming in um, but now I'm at Derby yeah and so. that's that's the beginning of a new chapter yeah well um, I'm just going to finish Kirby with asking you sort of sitting here now um, how do you look back on your career with a lot of pride um, a lot of um, happy memories um, no regrets at all none whatsoever maybe I could have regretted the other <laughs> thing I've done here and there <laughs> on the cricket field um, but you know I've made some special friends through yeah. cricket um, and yeah I mean look we've won some trophies it's given me a great grounding to go into cricket now as a coach the best coaches I've ever experienced are the ones that care about their players and Fabs um, Paul Fabrice gave me some great advice and it shaped my coaching philosophy moving forward here they will always remember what we say you will always remember what we do but you'll always remember how, you, how we've made them feel and the best coaches I've ever experienced are the ones that make you feel brilliant so moving forward now into coaching that's what I want to do I want to make sure my players feel fantastic, amazing. Not always the case. I want to support them. I want to help them. I'm very honest. I'm very straight. And I will 
Um, just I have my players' backs. It's simple as that. And going back to as a player, um, what do I remember the most? Winning with my mates. And that's that's it. And that little boy at Haywood Cricket Club playing tip and run, would he ever have dreamt that it turned out like this? No, <laughs> certainly not. And I don't think they would have done either, to be honest. <laughs> um, but no, I'm, I'm very, very um, appreciative of the people that have helped me through my cricket career. And you never forget who they are. Um, you know, Haywood, Kibworth Cricket Club. You know, I'm going to miss people here, but, you know... Um, Carl helped me at West Coast massively. Leicestershire, some special, special people there. And then moving, like I said, you know, all the way through your career, you, you don't forget those people and you make some great mates, don't you? Steve Kirby, thank you very much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. No worries. Thanks, Will. Thanks, thanks for inviting me on. You've been listening to the Lord's Cricket Podcast, the stories from the home of cricket with the people that made them. That was Steve Kirby. That was a great to sit down with Steve Kirby there. Um, a real pleasure. As I sort of talked about during the podcast, he didn't make it for England. You know, you'd expect on, on the Lord's Cricket Podcast, you know... Um, it's about people that get, you know, five, get on the honours board, hundreds, those honours board moments. But there's so much more to the game than that. You know, there's the county levels, there's the, there's the league cricket, you know, Steve talking about his time playing for Hayward CC and those memories of Kirtley Ambrose. I mean, it's just fantastic. And he's just quite simply a great bloke. Um, as I think you probably heard from that, the adversity he went through, you know, at the age of sort of 17, 18, to be let go, back injury, you're never playing cricket again selling selling floors and at the same time you know busting his guts you know um playing you know minor county stuff trialing here there chewing up all his annual leave and more um it's a, it's a really wonderful story and he's also a great storyteller so it's uh, it was great fun to um to sit down with steve and uh, yeah a big thanks to curbs for taking the time to record the podcast thanks as ever to the ecb and and sky for those commentary clips in this week's show remember do get in touch with the show on twitter it's at homer cricket that's the handle or me personally at will row two you can also email the show on podcast at mcc.org.uk and also leave a review and give us a rating um get us up those charts and so more people can hear the podcast and spread the message Uh, right next week's guest on the podcast is angus fraser a true workhorse of a bowler in many ways his associations with lord's cricket ground are just endless um from his playing days with middlesex in england to his post-playing career he's now the um managing director of middlesex cricket also his associations with mcc um, Lords is basically Gus's second home, really. Um, it was fascinating to listen to his memories of his career. He really was in that stage where the game went from, you know, more kind of amateur attitude to professionalism during the late 80s and 90s. And he only played 46 tests, which for me um, is amazing to think, really. Uh, I, I thought my memories as a child, as a teenager, was that Gus Fraser played a lot more cricket for England um, and he was he was badly treated selections um, also injuries as well so yeah so that's that's Gus Fraser it's, it's a really good listen I hope you hope you do give it a listen that's next week's uh, Lord's Cricket podcast uh, with Angus Fraser <laughs>